Welcome to Brief Debriefings from the Center for Medical Simulation, our conversations with our colleagues and friends from all over the simulation world, check-ins about the projects that they're excited about, projects that they're working on, especially right at this moment in light of all of the changes in the simulation world due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm here today with Susie Cardong-Edgren. Susie is a senior fellow at the Center for Medical Simulation, and she has been working on a couple of projects she's really excited about with the Massachusetts General Hospital Institute of Health Professions, in particular their master's program in simulation operations and their PhD program in simulation. Um, So Susie, welcome. So excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. What I'd like to do is just, you know, have a little conversation about the projects that you're working on, particularly the personal projects, the simulation projects that are most interesting to you, how any of those projects have changed over the course of the last three or four months, if you see simulation differently in context of sort of current events or how you see simulation moving forward. And I'm, I'm particularly excited to talk to you about how you see the field, sort of the shape of the field changing moving forward, just given how involved you were in some of the shaping of the field with the 50% study and how it has sort of changed how nursing training is being done. Um, I think in this moment, we're talking to a lot of people about how they've become more and more involved and critical to real live care and real designs for how how care in the moment is being done as opposed to being seen as a training and education resource. So one of the things I can tell you that uh, is the bane of existence for any nurse educator is trying to get nursing students to understand the importance of sterile technique. I don't think that's going to be a problem anymore. <laughs> for some reason And I'm old enough to remember uh, that our textbooks were a lot thinner when I was a student, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But we got it. The first time out of the box, we learned it. And I I know we we teach it a little bit differently now. But I know that uh, through the time I have been teaching myself, I know that nurses really just didn't seem to really get it. And I will say that many in the hospital also don't seem to get it, which is why we have some of the infections that we do. This pandemic has really brought to the fore the lack of understanding and the use of simulation to teach uh, first time or reinforce sterile technique for everybody. So I think that's a, a good thing. I'm sorry it took a pandemic to make it happen, but it's good. It's good. And, and we will probably have fewer infections overall going forward. However, being able to tease out the effect of nurses actually doing really good sterile technique versus all the spraying and gloving and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we're doing today. I don't know if that would be possible. So the other thing I think has been really great moving forward is I know VR was going to be big. I know it was going to be the next big thing. But I think this is really forcing it, uh, the issue very quickly for many people. And the reason for that is talking with one of my buddies, uh, she said when she called the mannequin manufacturers right after COVID got going and said, how do we disinfect our mannequins? Uh, She was basically told, oh, it's soap and water. And she said, no, that's probably not going to do it. I need a little more from you. And they had not really uh, thought about that. I see you nodding your head. I'm just thinking about the amount of contact, physical contact that, that happens when we're in the room with the mannequin, and that in the context of you know our primary goal, which is that simulation never harms a real patient. 
never harms a provider and never harms a patient, you know, thinking about like the principles that Dan Raymer and Ann Mullen are working on with their simulation patient safety work, and the idea that you could have a provider who had some viral shedding going on, interact with a mannequin, not extensively clean it enough, and then have another provider pick that up and spread it to a patient is, you know, antithetical to those principles. So that was sort of what I was thinking as you were speaking. Absolutely. So I always knew that VR would be next. I've been telling people for about a year and a half when they're telling me they're building a new sim center, I say, don't spend a lot of money on mannequins right now. I think mannequin was a way station and uh, perhaps you are like me. I grew up watching Star Trek and I want the holiday now in my lifetime. Before I retire, that may be pushing it, but I, I think that's where we're going. So uh, I think this has really aided in that discussion as we move forward. So with that in mind, before all of this stuff started, I was working on a couple consulting gigs with different groups. One of them is called the Nursing Community Assessment Service in British Columbia. And they have been using simulation to uh, evaluate all nurses coming in from foreign countries before they get licensed in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. They were having great outcomes with that. And they were very forward thinking in that they were aware that education in other countries may not be on the same level as uh, what we expect in Canada and the United States from a registered nurse. So the evaluations they developed it tests two things at the same time, actually three things, for basically a patient care technician, for a um, LVN, and for an RN. And I may have that wrong. It may be just LVN and RN. And they've been very successful with that. So that was something that was lovely because it was going to become a standard. And they're willing to do it for people who come in from other countries, but not yet in their own country, which I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So that was floating around out there. And then the NBCRNA, which is a National Board of Certification and Recertification for Nurse Anesthetists, was looking at the use of simulation for recertification of their CRNAs much like MOCA, and they were going to use a nomadic-based simulation and, and run a series of scenarios to make sure that people have not forgotten things or are refreshing on things and, and uh, that. Mm -hmm. But off of the distance, of people are always talking about, and gosh, VR would be really great too. And that's true. And now that everybody's afraid to touch mannequins at this point in time and everything's been put on hold, and VR uh, companies are just running, running, running to capture market and to build things that we need now that would be more appropriate as we can't go back to school, perhaps, that we are thinking about how are you going to scale mannequin-based simulation for use when you've got you know, 200 students you have to get through in a week and you have to clean that room after every group goes through or if you've got a group in the room, how are you going to do that? I think that VR is, is uh, going to take off. I think it's going to be just enormous. Having said that, I think the Royal College of Nursing in London is now working with, and I can say the name of the com company because I got this from them, um, Oxford Medical, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. to use VR to test nurses, again, probably coming in from uh, other countries. And I don't have that on full authority. We were going to be talking about that. I could be speaking out of turn there, but maybe not. But other people are already doing virtual reality with evaluating nurses. And so I think that this is just something that's going to become more and more apparent as we move forward. And really doing um, summative evaluation with it as, as opposed to doing, doing formative work. Yes. Um, another thing that's happening is we just won article of the year uh, from clinical simulation and nursing for a work that uh, Nancy Sullivan, Sandy Svoboda, some other people, and I worked on a two-to-one ratio survey looking at literally what are you doing in, in real clinical, as we know it, traditional clinical, what are you doing in mannequin-based simulation? And a third arm now is going to be, what are you doing in screen-based simulation? Mm. We did not want to get into VR at this point because we don't know how many programs are really out there that nurses are using that are virtual reality and sim. I think it will be more in the future, but right now screen-based sim made more sense to evaluate. So we put in for a grant for that, but that study, the hard work uh, has been done because the figuring out how to describe and code each of the things that is happening during the traditional time, during a mannequin-based time, well, it was very labor and time intensive, but it's done. So I think moving forward, those things are available to anybody if they wanted to reach out to Nancy Sullivan to be able to see, uh, we want to do this our own, on our own time or in our own place. Absolutely. Uh, welcome that opportunity for others to use that coding system. But again, this becomes more important as people are wondering, are we gonna be able to go back into the hospital with students? And of course, I would say, I think that we are giving mixed messages. And maybe this is a problem with living in the United States is that you would think you would want the student nurses in the hospital at this point in time, learning seriously how to take care of patients or helping out in areas where maybe uh, they're, they're not on the COVID floors, they're on the regular med surge floors, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But we didn't do that, we threw them out. And I think we did that because there was going to be a known shortage of uh, PPE. Yeah. Now there's not. So the question then becomes, are we not letting students back into the hospitals in the fall because we're worried about being sued in case they get COVID. But by the same token, that is the job we're going into. Why would we be concerned about that? Well, you know, this is, it kind of brings your education into very clear focus and why what we're teaching you is so important. So I'm curious to see what happens in the fall. I wonder from one perspective, like you said, it's definitely, I think about mitigating risk in the sense that the fewer people who are in the room, the fewer people who have a potential exposure. And then I think also because you want people to be able to make errors, particularly trainees, in as safe an environment as possible, hence, you know, simulation in the first place, doing these procedures for the first time on a simulated patient as opposed to a real live patient who can be harmed, I see that a little bit in the same way, which is to say it takes a lot of cognitive load, even for an expert, to safely don and even more importantly safely doff PPE in a COVID positive environment. You know, we've been talking to SIM directors and education leaders around the country about this, and 
all sorts of efforts are going into making sure that this happens okay, whether that's creating a doffing expert who is literally a consultant who comes and just like checks and makes sure that everyone is doffing safely after they've gotten over the threshold of completing the procedure. And that's checking in with attendings and, you know, super senior people, super experienced people. So I have to imagine that, you know, the risk for a trainee of making a mistake in that regard, right? Like the the risk is fairly high that an error might occur. And you're comparing that to the potential consequence of that error, which in normal circumstances would be minimal and now is is quite great and potentially creates the you know potential for community spread and all those things so i do sort of see it from that perspective and and maybe sim is the environment right like if we can get trainees in a simulated covid room and have them practice that in the same way that their more senior colleagues are using sim to practice that then maybe it mitigate you know eliminates some of that risk or reduces some of that risk um, that's sort of how i see it one thing i'd be interested to get your perspective on since you were talking a little bit about um, screen-based learning you know we are working with uh, some of our partner organizations on what do we do to effectively replace clinicals, particularly for students who are in nursing schools right at this moment and can't go into the clinical environment. And we've been working on doing things like unfolding virtual case studies that are screen-based, things like standardized patients using the virtual environment, things like Things all things all the way up to um, you know using some of the more complex simulation apps to say okay I find the medication in the library and I press the button and okay the medication's been delivered and the follow you know and then a thing happens patient you know suddenly is having trouble breathing and you know okay I go and check their chest and there's a there's a rash there it's part of our motivation for that I think has been this idea that while it's really hard to shift those trainings that have been clinical to an online environment the critical thing is to not turn a short-term risk mitigation measure into long-term risk in the sense that the long-term risk would be students emerging from nursing school who haven't been trained fully and then of course you have a potential for a long tail of error down the road from people who haven't gotten you know satisfactory training how do we basically prevent a lost generation of nurses who didn't get their clinicals or even worse can't pass say their licensure because their training wasn't sufficient in the time that they were in nursing school. I'd be curious about your thoughts on that. Unfortunately, they'll still be able to pass the board because of the <laughs> that has never been the issue. Cognitively, they'll come out still prepared. The issue that you're raising is one that I think the NCSBN also needs to seriously consider because that could happen. And I hadn't really thought about it in a lost generation of nurses, but I'm thinking, oh gosh, that's, that's kind of what's going to happen. Could happen. The one thing I'm going to say about screen-based SIM compared to virtual reality or, or mannequin-based simulation is, and this is anecdotal, but I have seen it happen over and over and over again, and I bet you have too. And that is when people do screen-based SIM, and I, this is when I was do, uh, helping with the research with the RQI, which is a resuscitation quality improvement program for uh, Laredal. The people go through a training online first, and you throw down, you get the AED, and you open it up, and you put the patches on the human, and then you turn it on, and it talks to you, and then you shock the patient. Mm -hmm. 
it's screen based. Then we're doing it with real people. And I walk in the room, the person's pumping away, and I now uh, hand them the AED. I throw the AED down. And this is another faculty member. She looks at me and she says, what is this? I said, this is the AED. She said, I've never seen an AED. I said, not only have you seen it, you used it in your screen-based learning. She said, I've never seen that before. And I said, okay. And I note to self, just because you do it on the screen does not mean you recognize what it is. So there are limits to what you can do with screen-based things. I've done research and developed a game in VR myself that uses your own hands. And I do believe that there's something to the proprioception, the moving your body through space, the laying on of hands to different things, whether you can feel them or not, because we did not have any $15,000 half the gloves, which I have also played with and absolutely mm -hmm. love them and wish I had them. <laughs> but, uh, but it's not the same thing. And I do think we would be making a huge error if we really rely on screen-based things all the way. Having said that, can you get a certain amount of emotional engagement with that? Yes. There's work by Marge Merkile out of Canada that uh, is very engaging. It really, uh, students love it. And it's basically done through a choose-your-own-adventure kind of screen-based simulation that she has kind of perfected the technique. And because she's funded by the Canadian government, the more people who use her stuff for free, uh, the more money they give her to build more stuff. So it's she is a great wealth uh, resource and wealth of information on that kind of screen-based technique to engage people, but it doesn't give you everything you need, I don't think. Hmm. And I think we will find that out as we get more VR programs available, you know, uh, coming online and available for us. We'll be able to do comparison of screen-based to VR-based simulations and outcomes. To be able to sort of better see where does the knowledge transfer, where does it not transfer, where do we need to make, pay more attention. I think that's really interesting. Okay, I, I think that was really interesting, and I think that's a really good look at some of the issues that are facing nursing education in particular uh, in the moment where clinicals aren't really happening. Um, how do we translate some of that to a screen-based environment, a virtual environment, and you know what are some of the drawbacks and, and positives of that? So thank you so much. Susie Cardong-Edgren uh, for this conversation. Thank you for asking me.